invite you to turn in your Bible with me this morning to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to be reading verses 14 through the end of the chapter. We've come to a text that is um, profound, really isn't a big enough word for it. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones spent 14 sermons, I think, just on this text and uh, <clears throat> did not uh, exhaust all that's here. Um, we're, going to, we're going to do this in one sermon, but uh, trying to pay attention to the central uh, point uh, that Paul is praying that we might experience what life is, which is Christ dwelling in our heart through faith. Uh, the bliss of heaven will not be uh, the streets of gold. It won't be even a sinless life. Uh, the bliss of heaven will be an experience uh, of the love of Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul prays for us uh, in this life, in this text. Let's uh, give our attention then to God's Word. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning at verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's bow in prayer for a moment. Father, we just now, as we come to your word, ask, Lord, give us ears to hear it. Your spirit has been poured out. Uh, Lord, may he be at work in power uh, that we might receive this prayer and this wonderful assurance of your love for us in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. As we've been going through the, uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, we've been asking the question, what does it mean to be a Christian? And uh, we've seen that... Uh, it, it means many wonderful things. Um, to be a Christian means that you are a person who has been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. That's how Paul begins the letter. Uh, you've been elected from before the foundation of the world. You've been adopted into the family of God, redeemed by the blood of Christ, forgiven all of your sins. Uh, you've been made alive with Christ in His resurrection. You've been uh, seated in glory with Christ as he sits at the right hand of God. These are, these are the blessings that we have. And so to be a Christian is to be uh, the recipient of an astounding gift of God's sovereign saving grace. But there is also an essential experience to being a Christian. You are not just the recipient of good things that God has done for you, but there is an experience uh, of, to the Christian life an essential experience, which is Christ dwelling in your hearts through faith. I think John Stott has said that that is maybe the, the, the tightest summary of the experience of the Christian life, uh, the, the authenticating mark of the Christian life in a sense, the experience of Christ dwelling in your hearts through faith. Uh, you see, the Christian life really is at its core about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. This is a truth that I think is sometimes overlooked, or neglected at least, in Reformed churches. 
I, um, it is unfortunately and undoubtedly true that it is possible to grow up in a solid Reformed church assuming that being a Christian is simply about assenting to Christian doctrines or engaging in Christian practices. And so if you assent to the doctrines and you engage in the practices, uh, you simply assume that that's all there is to being a Christian. And I don't think that's being consciously taught, obviously, but, but in our emphasizing of the doctrines of the biblical faith, we, we can neglect to our own discredit and harm the essential experience of the Christian faith. You see, the, the doctrines of, of Scripture are essential, aren't they? We, you, can't, you can't have a real faith in Jesus unless you know who He is, unless you know what He's accomplished. The doctrines are absolutely essential. But simply knowing the doctrines, well, it's not enough. You see, an, an intellectual a, a grasp of the truths of the Christian faith, that's not what the Christian life is about. C.S. Lewis um, says that the doctrines of Christianity exist in relation to the Christian life the way a map exists in relation to the country. So, uh, say for instance, you have a, a map of the Rocky Mountains and you've studied the map. Uh, you could name the 20 highest peaks. You can, uh, you can list the various rivers and streams, uh, all their names. You know the passes. Uh, you you know the map, but obviously, you still haven't been to the mountains, right? If that's all you've seen, if that's all you know, well, you, you don't know about the mountains. You, ha you have to go to the mountains. You, otherwise, you'll never understand just what it feels like to, to be awed by the towering um, peaks and, and to smell that crisp mountain air. Um, you, you won't know what it's like to see an eagle you know, just soaring above the cliffs or, or the elk grazing down in the valleys. You, you won't know what the pine feel, smells like and, and how cold the, the, the rushing streams are. Uh, you, you won't know about the mountains with a map. You have to go there. You've got you to experience it, you see. And, and only an experience of the mountains can move you to worship. Well, it's, it's exactly like that with the Christian life. Only an experience of Christ will move you to worship. The doctrines by themselves won't do it. It's just the map. And, and unfortunately, there are many professing believers who are living their Christian life according to the map of doctrine and practice and wondering why they don't feel anything. Why they're not being moved. And maybe that describes you this morning. You believe the doctrines. You, 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 you surely do. But you don't, you don't really have the experience of knowing Christ in that intimate way. And so you're not moved by the doctrines. It would be hard to say that you have an, an intimate relationship or, or, or an experiential relationship with Jesus. You're, you're, you don't really have a meaningful prayer life where you pour out your heart and soul to God. When you read the Bible, it, it, it feels maybe dead to you. It, it, it doesn't seem to speak. You're, you're in bondage to your besetting sin. You lack the joy of salvation. You don't experience the peace of God. Um, you don't really have the comfort of knowing that you belong to Him and, and He's caring for you. Maybe that describes you this morning. 
And if that's so, I, I don't want you to despair. This, this isn't a text written to, to cause us to despair. But it does reveal that, that God has much more for you in Christ and in your Christian life than maybe you've imagined. I would just say, if that's you this morning, then make a decision in your heart that you're not going to settle for the map of Christianity without knowing the reality of Christ. Just let this text do that for you today. That you're, you're not going to just pretend this is all there is. Because it's not all there is. In fact, it's, the reality is what Paul prays for us. There are mountains of glory and beauty and truth and, and love and grace and peace in Jesus. And so Paul prays, asking the Father to grant the church then and now, that reality as Christ dwells in their heart through faith. And so let's begin. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. And the first question that we have to ask is, for what reason? What's, what is Paul referring to when he says, for this reason I bow? And um, I think we can point to, first of all, Everything that Paul's been talking about in the first part of the letter, he's been talking about all that God has accomplished in Jesus Christ for the church, for his people, um, that, that he has loved them before the foundation of the world and called them and gave them to Jesus Christ, and, uh, and he has adopted them and forgiven them and redeemed them. He saved them and is saving them so that they are now a temple of the living God, a place where God dwells. And Paul, in thinking of that, for, the, for this reason... God, for this reason, Father, because of all that you've done and all that you've promised, drive it home. Uh, Paul's not asking for God to do something new here. What he's asking is that God would, would take these truths and these realities and, and press that truth and reality down deep into the inner being of his readers of the church, so that, that they're experiencing in an ever-deepening way that communion with Christ in their inner being, so that it's affecting them. It, you see, we all recognize that there's a difference between an intellectual grasp of something and a, a grasp of it in your inner being. Um, Keller uses the example of, of, of sin. We all know that <clears throat> Sin is a thing, and, and we can name certain sins, and we acknowledge that we commit sins. But Keller says, if you find that you are impatient, angry, um, frustrated, despairing, right, when, when you see people sin, well, you don't, you don't have a grasp of sin in your inner being. If you're shocked by what other people do, maybe that would be a good way to say it. If you're, if you're shocked by what other people do, you don't really understand the reality of your own heart. Because, because if you really understood the reality of your own heart, nothing anyone does would shock you. There would be patience. There would be understanding. Well, in, in a similar way, Paul is praying that we have an understanding of Christ that impacts us, changes the way we respond to things. 
And, and, and Keller uh, points out that maybe one of the things that Paul's referring here to is what we read right in verse 13, right? The verse pr- exactly in front of our text, where Paul has, says, I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you. Now, why would they lose heart over Paul's suffering? Remember, he's in prison. Well, they would lose heart because they know Paul. He was in Ephesus for three years. He was their founding pastor. Uh, They know and love this man. And they are so excited to see what he has been been doing by the power of God and through the Spirit in, in planting new churches. And now he's being persecuted in a Roman prison for several years now. And you can see how... Um, there would be questions. Why would God do that to Paul? Didn't he call Paul to plant churches? How is he supposed to plant churches locked up in a Roman prison? And why would God let such a godly man, such a, a devoted man, suffer like this? It, it just it doesn't make sense. And maybe their own suffering doesn't make sense, right? They're also experiencing a poverty and discrimination and social alienation. And you can, you can imagine a, a new believer wondering, if God really loves us, why, why do we suffer so much? Why is it so hard? It doesn't make sense. I think most of us have asked those kinds of questions when we face discouragements and and things that don't make sense. When we see little children suffer, um, just wonder, why does God allow that? Why does, why does He do the things and allow the things that He, that he does? And, and how can you stand with joy and peace and comfort in, in the midst of those kinds of hardships and that kind of discouragement? We see that Paul... For this reason, is, is teaching us a very important principle and lesson in this prayer because, because Paul wants them not to be discouraged. He wants them to be able to stand and to, and to have peace and comfort and joy in the midst of the reality of, of his and their suffering. But he doesn't, notice, he doesn't pray for a change in their circumstances. He doesn't pray that he'll be set free. He doesn't say, I don't want you to be discouraged, so let's pray together that God gets me out of here or that, um, that your suffering is removed. Instead, he prays that the Father would deepen their experience of the love of Christ in their inner being. You see, friends, the key to dealing with the external realities in, in, their, in the, hard, the hard things in life, the key to dealing with the external circumstances is, is by paying attention to the inner reality. The Bible continually calls us to prioritize the inner life over external circumstances. So this is such an, a critical uh, a principle. It means that the worries and fears and discouragements that we experience in life are not primarily due to the external circumstances of life, but the internal circumstances or the internal reality of our life. We, we, we constantly forget that and prioritize the external things, the circumstances. And we become convinced that if, if we could just have the thing that we desire, or if we could just change the thing that we dislike, 
If we could just lose weight, if we could just make a little more money, if we could just have a better marriage, if the kids would just behave, then we'd be happy. Uh, we'll often, I've just joined and I driving around, and I, I just notice vehicles, and I'll see a really, really nice vehicle, and I'll say, um, boy, if I could have that, then I'd be happy. <laughs> but we do this all the time, don't we? We don't say it out loud, but that's what we're assuming. And so we throw our work and our efforts into changing the circumstances, or we just complain about the circumstances. But friends, the circumstances aren't the issue. The secret or the key to happiness and joy is found in your inner life, not your external circumstances. So when the psalmist asks in Psalm 42, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you so disquieted within me? He doesn't then list the circumstances that have caused him to be discouraged. What he does is says, put your hope in God, O my soul, O my inner being. Put your hope in God so that it functions, so that it changes the outlook, so that you can, uh, I will yet rejoice and praise Him. And so Paul is praying for the Father to do a mighty work of grace in their inner being, deepening their faith, deepening their experience of the love of Jesus Christ so that they're not discouraged. Well, let's look at the petition itself. Paul prays that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. I love that Paul begins with, uh, according to the riches of his glory. Uh, Boys and girls, uh, if you're going to get a present for your birthday or Christmas, uh, what would you rather, that the present be in a really big box or in a really small box? I think we all say the bigger the better, right? I don't ever remember being disappointed with a big present. Unless it's hiding a really small one, right? That can be... <laughs> well, Paul wants us to, to understand that this gift is coming from the biggest possible box imaginable. It's coming from the infinite resources of the glories of God. So all, that, all the power and the wisdom and wealth of God, according to your riches... In glory, Lord, I'm going to ask you to give a gift out of that. So we should have great expectations. Well, what's the gift? The gift is that God would grant, gift, that we would be strengthened with power through His Spirit. Supernatural Holy Spirit power in our inner being so that Christ dwells in our heart through faith. Notice, the experience of Christ dwelling in your heart is a gift. It's something the Father gives by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's not something that you can create or accomplish by doing more, studying more, trying harder, being better. It's a gift that God gives by His Spirit. But it's a gift that comes through faith. So, you see, the Spirit uses means, primarily His Word, right? The the Bible that He wrote. And, And so the experience of Christ dwelling in our heart will will be accompanied or, or accomplished as we feed on His Word 
by the power of the Spirit. But, be, but again, it's something the Father grants, and so that means we have to ask for it. Not work for it, but ask for it. Remember what Jesus says in Luke chapter eleven thirteen: 13. If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? We need to ask for the Holy Spirit. Father, give us the Holy Spirit. One of the things that surprised me, I have to say, when I was a, a graduated from college and um, I was attending for a while First Assembly of God, I was, I was just surprised at how readily uh, the charismatics pray for the Holy Spirit. I did not experience that growing up. And I think it's a God-honoring, biblical way of thinking about the Christian life. How much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? If that's not an invitation to ask for the Holy Spirit, I I don't know what would be. See, the, the, the path to a greater experience of Christ in your life is not try harder. It, it is to pray. Ask the Father. Ask the Father and the Son, right, to, to, to send the Spirit, to do work by the Spirit. That would be a good way of saying it. Do this work in my inner being so that I really know and commune with Jesus in the depths of my being. So that it functions there. It changes how I think and how I feel and what I say, how I perceive things. Well, what will that experience feel like? If, if we are communing, uh, if Christ is dwelling in your heart through faith, what will, how would you know? What would, that, what would that experience be like? Well, Paul clearly believes and teaches that it will be an experience of the love of Christ. That's what it will be. It'll be, when he, so, so he says, Father, grant that they can comprehend, means to grasp, to lay hold of. Help them to grasp, to comprehend the love of Christ in their inner being. Not just intellectually, but in their inner being, that they know it. That is... Well, it's just so essential to the Christian life. It's the, it's, the, it's, the, it's the beating heart of the Christian life. So Paul will say, the life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. That's the Jesus he knows. The Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. That's how you make sense of Paul's lifestyle. His willingness to suffer. His, his eagerness to go home and be with the Lord. Because he'd experienced the love of Christ. You see, imagine how your life might change if you were absolutely convinced in the core of your being that Jesus knows you and Jesus loves you completely and is committed to doing everything in his sovereign power for your eternal blessedness. Everything, you see. So think of the blessedness you could have in times of hardship and heartache, times of loss or trial. You wouldn't be wondering if God has abandoned you or, or, or fearing that God is judging you for your sin. Isn't that where we tend to go? But you, when, if you're convinced, if, you, if you're experiencing Christ dwelling in your heart and, and you're convinced in, the, in your inner being of the love of Christ, th- those aren't the questions you're asking. 
You wouldn't, you wouldn't think that your life is spinning out of control. You wouldn't have any reasons to be afraid. The king of heaven, the Lord Sabbath, the Lord of the, the, the host of the armies of heaven loves you. And he's committed to loving you and to guard and guide and protect you all the way into your eternal home. And nothing can snatch you from his hands. And so friends, if flip that over. That means that to the extent that we are still struggling with fear and despair and a sense of being abandoned by God, alienated from God, that just means that there's room to grow in this, in comprehending the love of Christ. It just means we haven't fully grasped it yet. And the driving desire of our heart should be, Father, give me this gift by the power of your Holy Spirit. Give me this ability by the power of your spirit to comprehend this one thing, the love of Jesus Christ for me. Just a note, one book that many people have found, a book that people have found helpful in this is the book by Dane Ortland, Gentle and Lowly. I can also recommend his follow-up to that book entitled Deeper. Both those books are intended to to drive this very thing home. Um, In Deeper, he says, The deepest destiny of your life is to descend ever deeper with quiet yet ever-increasing intensity into the endless love of God. Let me read that one more time. The deepest destiny of your life as a Christian is to descend ever deeper with quiet yet ever-increasing intensity into the endless love of God. I think that's exactly right. I think that's exactly what the experience of heaven will be. Now, what difference will it make in this life? Well, Paul speaks of it this way. That you being rooted and grounded in love. Uh, He uses an agricultural term and an architectural term, right? Rooted, plants, grounded, foundations, in love. Paul wants us, you see, to experience the love of Christ the way a plant experiences nourishment from the soil. That the love of Jesus Christ sustains us and and feeds our soul. Uh, The love of Jesus Christ makes us grow and bear fruit for the glory of God. It's, It's all the love of Christ doing that in us and through us. And, and he wants us to experience the love of Christ the way that a building experiences its foundation so that there's stability and strength because of that foundation. So that when the storms of life come, we're not blown around. And when false teaching comes, we're not, we're not easily swayed to and fro, but, but we're founded on all that we know of Christ in his love for us. So there's a foundation and we, we, we face the realities of life like everyone else, but, but we, we don't despair. We, we, we don't feel like we're abandoned. We don't lose our hope because our hope is built, you see, on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. The song says, when darkness veils his lovely face, we rest on his unchanging grace. When all around our soul gives way, he then is all our hope and stay On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. 
That's what Paul is praying for us. That, that, that we have an experience of the, a conviction of the love of Jesus Christ in our inner being that gives us a confidence of the Father's love when we, when we can, cannot make sense of his providence. And, and friends, there will be times you, you, you simply will not be able to make sense of his providence. You don't know why you're experiencing what you're experiencing. You don't know why uh, this, this, this dear brother or sister or family member is suffering the way they're suffering. It does not make sense to you why a loved one would, would be taken away. So how do you, how do you fight the, the sense of bitterness, the, 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 the questions that God has, has, has erred in some way, that God has fallen short of his promise, that, that, that this doesn't work? It won't be enough to say, well, I believe in the sovereignty of God. Because the sovereignty of God uh, still means that God did it. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, when I cannot understand, when my intellect is baffled, and when I cannot explain, love still holds me up. How vitally important it is that we should take time with the foundation and make sure of being rooted and grounded in love. The only thing that will give you the strength to stand is a conviction of love. Jesus loves me. God the Father loves me in Christ. And Paul wants us to grasp it. In all of its beauty, in all of its totality, its breadth and length and depth, and height, that we, that, we, that we have a sense of the vastness of all the love that God has poured out upon us in Christ Jesus. That, that as far as the east is from the west, you think of breadth, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. You think about, about height, as far as the, the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. You think about length, you've been loved from eternity into eternity. You think about the depth, Jesus Christ descended from the heights of glory into the deepest pit of hell to rescue you. How great is the love of God. And Paul just prays that that would move from an intellectual ascent into a heart conviction and experiential knowledge of this majestic love of Jesus Christ in our inner being so that we are filled with all the fullness of God. In other words, that we're overflowing with all the grace and love and joy and peace and confidence that God has for us in Jesus Christ. Now, why would Paul want that? Well, he'd want it, obviously, for our own benefit, for our, for our peace, our joy. But notice, as Paul concludes his prayer now, to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, Paul realizes he's praying a large prayer, but he's praying to a great God. And he's praying this thing, so that this prayer, so that God would be glorified. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You see, Paul has this, this grand vision in his mind of things the way they ought to be. It's a vision of a church, Christ church, an assembly of people gathered from every tongue, tribe, nation, every economic and social class, every one of them a sinner deserving condemnation, and everyone by the rich mercy of God made alive in Jesus Christ, joined to him. And, and, and that church abiding in the love of Christ is standing in the face of tribulation. 
That church abiding in the love of Christ is bearing fruits of kindness and goodness and gentleness and patience and love and long-suffering. And, 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 and they bear this fruit, you see, to the glory of God so that men see on the day of Christ's visitation and they give glory to God. And angels in heaven see and they give glory to God. That's, that's Paul's dream. That's his vision. That in the church... God is glorified, not just today, but throughout all generations, and not just the generations of this world, but forever and ever. That God gets the glory for, through all eternity because of what he accomplished in and through the church. And that happens, that vision comes true as Christ dwells in our heart through faith, by the power of the Holy Spirit. So friend, my question for you this morning is, <clears throat> have you settled for Christianity that's less than this? Have you settled for a Christianity where you just assent to the doctrine, you engage in the practice, but you don't, you don't know what it's like to just get on your knees and talk to Jesus? And it's been a long time since you've heard your father speak to you in his word. And it's hard for you to say that there's been any comfort from his love, any peace from his promises. And, and, and my plea would just be that of the Apostles Paul, <clears throat> that the Apostle Paul's, that you, you don't stay there. God has so much more for you. What God desires, you see, this is a prayer inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is God's desire. That, that, that the Spirit would do this supernatural work in our inner being so that we know Christ and we know the love of Christ. And we know it in a way that transforms us, in a way that gives us abilities we never had before to forgive, to humble ourselves, to bear with each other, to, to, to speak with courage to those who don't know. And so let's ask for it. Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. That's what Jesus says. Knock, the door will be open. Make this your prayer. Ask other people to pray this for you. Make this the, the pursuit of your life. I want to know the love of Jesus Christ in my inner being so that it transforms my life to the glory of God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, I thank you for this prayer. I thank you the Spirit inspired it. Thank you, Father, this is your desire for us. And, oh, Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you that this is your passion for your church, that we would know your love for us in all of its fullness and all of its glory, its depth and breadth and height and length. And, Jesus, we confess that we, Lord, have not hungered for this as we should. And, and Father, I pray that your spirit would move us to pray for this glory in our own heart, in our inner being, so that it transforms us. Father, I pray for those this morning who, who've been exposed by your word and, and they just realize that this isn't, this, it's not something they know about. Or maybe they've had tastes of it, but it's been a very long time. And Father, I pray you would encourage them that your spirit is able to do all things, that you are able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. We simply need to ask. And so I pray, Lord, that there would be then prayers rising from hearts that are tired and spiritually apathetic and 
and maybe unconverted. And, and Lord, that, that from those prayers, we would see the blessing of, of an answer and a new experience of the reality of Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray then that you would do these things for your name's sake and for your glory in our day, in our church, through our lives. Glorify your name. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing a song that just celebrates the love of God for us. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell.
salvation. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal eternal comfort and good hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Amen.